55. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you are willing, can you make me clean? Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside and alone in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Kieran. Um, I'll hand over to Michael now to do the sermon. And then after that, I thought we would just pray for the world and I'll ask if anyone else would like to join in for that as well. So thank you, Michael. Thank you, uh, Raywin, and thank you for your welcome. I realise I was on mute when I acknowledged it, but it's always lovely to uh, be with you all. And uh, let's hope we don't have to keep doing it this way for too much longer. Well, I, I think, I don't know, I haven't heard the sermons up till now in, in Mark's gospel, but it's always uh, wonderful to work through a gospel. I, I think you get a, a good overview, obviously, of who Jesus is and his ministry. Now, one of the things that's sort of been a growing area of, of New Testament scholarship in recent years has been the, the huge significance, obviously, of the Old Testament for understanding the New Testament. And Gospel writers, uh, Matthew, for example, makes it very clear over and over again. He says this was to fulfill what was written. Uh, Mark doesn't make those specific statements, but all the time it's good to remember that Jesus is self-consciously fulfilling uh, what has been said in the Old Testament. He's self-consciously uh, fulfilling Israel's mission, uh, particularly think of the uh, promises to Abraham that through his seed, which is Christ, all nations will be blessed. I uh, think particularly too of Deuteronomy 18, Moses saying that another prophet will one day come greater than him, and you're to listen to everything he says. I uh, think particularly of the servant songs in Isaiah, uh, the suffering servant. This is the, the person whom Jesus is, and it's been long ago foretold. And I think particularly pertinent to today's reading, these 10 verses that we've just heard read by Kieran, are the opening two verses of Zechariah chapter 13, which you're probably not that familiar with, so I'll read them to you. Uh, Zechariah prophesies, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. And it's particularly the idea of uncleanness and 
anything that is demonic or idolatrous being removed from the land that I think is important to bear in mind here. Here again, Jesus is fulfilling uh, prophecy and what he's doing. And Mark's been very careful in his selection. One thing I'll touch on is why does he, amidst all the reports of healings and exorcisms, does he focus on the man with an unclean spirit in the synagogue, which presumably you did last week, and then on this leper today. I mean, Jesus was healing, obviously, dozens, if not hundreds of people, but Mark picks out specific accounts, specific incidents, and I can only think it's because these things particularly illustrate how Jesus is the fulfillment uh, of these Old Testament prophecies, for example, Zechariah 13. So I just want to encourage you to, to think about that when you're reading the gospel. And another little aside is that often when we read the scriptures, people will say to me, I, you know, I go to the scriptures for a word from the Lord, for an encouragement. Uh, that's a very natural thing to do. But remember, the scriptures weren't written primarily to give you a word of encouragement, except the greatest word of encouragement that Jesus is Lord. So in other words, what I'm saying is, when you read the scriptures, you should first be asking, not was what is God saying to me, but what is the saying about Jesus? And when you know Jesus, you've got the, all you need. You, you will get specific words. There will be encouragements, obviously. But the first reason we read the scriptures is to meet Jesus and know him. And it's a lot more about him than, in a sense, a specific word for us, uh, as tempting as that is to us. So let's just have a quick look through this passage, unpack it a bit, and then I've got uh, four points that I think we can take away, which hopefully are applicable to our lives. Uh, the first point, I mean, these are all very obvious uh, things by way of explanation, but it's uh, quite clear here, Jesus' priority for prayer, isn't it? The fact that he gets up very early uh, before daylight, this could be as early as three or four in the morning, uh, when, when, the, when Mark says very early, it probably is something like that. It's, it's more than getting up at six uh, for a quiet time. And clearly Jesus has to do this to escape the crowds and he goes to a desolate place. Why does he put such emphasis on prayer? Well, I think the first thing is that it's clear that Jesus isn't a magician. He doesn't have magic powers. Rather, he is the son of God and it's God's power that he is exercising. Over and over again, he stresses us, doesn't he, in his teaching, that he is doing what the Father has sent him to do. Uh, he's not a wonder worker. Uh, he is uh, God's son and God's instrument in the world to bring restoration and healing. And the gospel began with that, didn't it? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And that's the, the second point I want to make about this withdrawing for prayer. Jesus is uh, being the true son. His relationship, his primary relationship is with the father. And so whilst the disciples come after him, and the, the words are very strong there, that it's literally they come hunting him down. In other words, they're disturbed or perturbed that he isn't back healing people this next day after the Sabbath. And they wonder on earth what he's doing. They think, presumably think he's lost the plot. Why is he heading out of town at the very time when he's having the greatest impact in town? I guess it would be like uh, someone whose business is doing really well 
um, booming and suddenly they take a holiday and it, everything goes cold. The website uh, doesn't move and people are saying, this guy's crazy. He's on a roll. Well, Jesus was on a roll, but he takes time out to go and commune, have fellowship with the Father. That's because that's his primary relationship. He, more than anything else, knows that he needs to rely on the Father as long as he's emptied himself of his heavenly glory, which uh, we know he has. Uh, he's taken on human flesh. He needs to draw strength uh, from the Father. And so that is his first priority. And he knows that it is the Father from whom he will take orders and direction, not from the disciples. And you might note that in this case, Simon isn't called a disciple. Mark says Simon and those were with him, or some translations say Simon and his companions came hunting for Jesus. I think that's deliberate. Uh, Simon isn't acting like a disciple, and so Mark doesn't call him a disciple. He's as uh, ignorant as the crowds of what Jesus' real purpose is. And so uh, he's quite mistaken saying to Jesus, you should be back in town doing this rather than wasting time in the desert praying where there is nobody to see what you're doing or to benefit from that. Yes, Simon and the others are enthusiastic, but their enthusiasm uh, shouldn't be confused with faith. They have totally misunderstood Jesus' mission. And here we have a rare example of Jesus actually stating what that mission is. He says quite specifically, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came or why I came out. In other words, that's his primary task is to preach. Healing is important, but it's important because it points to who he is and to the nature of his kingdom. It's not an end in itself. And I think this is something that can be a, a real trap. It certainly was for the disciples and for the people. Lots of people were healed, but not so many repented and turned to Christ in faith. Sometimes this can seem a bit heartless, can't it? When people are, are fixed on doing what God wants, sometimes it means saying no to people. Um, I think of that account where and it's in chapter 7, you'll come to it, where the Syrophoenician woman, remember she comes chasing after Jesus and the disciples, asking him to heal her dying daughter. And Jesus says, I was called only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it's only when she shows extraordinary faith, uh, lightening herself to a dog, that Jesus gives her what she wants. It's hard for us to accept this sometimes, but being focused on the mission of Jesus uh, sometimes can mean a quite a ruthless focus. Uh, we don't understand always why this is necessary, uh, but quite clearly there's a greater good that needs to be done. And Jesus, of course, is mindful of that and exemplifies what it means to focus on what Jesus has asked him to do rather than what other people want him to do. Remember, he uh, heard his parents too in Luke 3 when he is staying on in the temple. They have gone home. They notice he's gone and they chide him. And his rather harsh retort, or what might seem a harsh retort, is uh, you should have known 
that I would be in my father's house. So again, Jesus uh, is always focused firstly on what his father has called him to do. He's not open to popular uh, demands in the way that often we can be. Well, then we move to the second part of this uh, little passage, to the healing of the leper. And again, the first thing you need to note about this passage is that not once is the word healing mentioned. Note, Jesus doesn't heal the leper, or at least he's not said to heal the leper, he's said to cleanse the leper. And it's quite hard for us to put ourselves into this uh, New Testament Jewish mindset that leprosy, the problem with leprosy was first and foremost not that it deformed you, but that it made you unclean. It meant that lepers uh, were not allowed into the city. They weren't obviously allowed into any homes, any synagogues. They were complete pariahs. And part of that was because leprosy was seen as a punishment for God, from God for sin. So not only did you have this terrible uh, disease in the terms of what we think physically, but you had this terrible social isolation and you were regarded as a complete outcast and sinner. It was a very terrible thing. Uh, Josephus, the great uh, Jewish historian, uh, who's often quoted, said that to be a leper was really to be a corpse. That's how he described it. You were as good as dead uh, to everybody, your family, uh, your community, and to the world. And you were expected to uh, look shabby, to be repugnant, so that people would know to keep well clear of you. You can imagine that it was a very miserable existence. This man comes up to Jesus, though, and uh, begs him uh, not to heal him because he knows he can heal him. And I noted that Kieran's translation, I don't know what Kieran, what translation you use, but interestingly, it changed the wording uh, from you can make me clean to can you. Um, it's clearly in the Greek, uh, you can. He's not in any doubt. But the question is, if you will. And he asked Jesus uh, if he is willing to heal him. And he's got a bit of a nerve, really, uh, coming anywhere near Jesus. He knows that he's uh, breaking uh, some very strict boundaries there. And also he knows that uh, he's a sinner, or at least he's been told by everybody he is. So to have the courage and the nerve ready to go up to Jesus and seek healing uh, showed he was uh, pretty desperate and had nothing to lose. Well, Jesus is uh, equally uh, does the unthinkable in that he reaches out and touches him. And in the light of what we've just uh, heard about just how lepers were regarded and treated, uh, Jesus uh, is doing an extraordinary thing here. And Mark says that it was because he was moved with pity. Or does Mark say that? That's the big question. Because uh, one of the most, uh, one of the earliest manuscripts and, and a good manuscript says that he was actually moved with anger and indignation. And I think that's likely to be the right reading. There's a rule in translating that the most improbable reading is probably the original one, because who would make up a wrong reading? It's quite likely, in other words, that uh, other scribes felt that this was 
uh, an unlikely thing for Jesus to have said, so they've changed it to pity. But there's something very reasonable about the idea that Jesus was angry. We saw it at Lazarus's tomb. Remember when Jesus comes to Lazarus' tomb? We normally think of Jesus weeping, and yes, he wept. But before we're told Jesus wept, we're told how deeply troubled in spirit he was. And the words used there all speak of really of indignation, of anger even. Uh, the, in Hebrew, the, the word for anger is, is the, it describes the flaring of the nostrils, the nostrils getting hot. And in the Greek, when it says that Jesus was deeply troubled, it, it says he snorted like a horse uh, rearing up. In other words, this, this image of, of indignancy, indignation rather, and anger, not at uh, Lazarus, uh, not at this leper, but at Satan. Leprosy is Satan's work. Death is Satan's work. And Jesus is angry because here Satan is having the victory. And so he responds uh, in anger. I say not at the leper, but at Satan. And he simply reaches out and touches him and declares him healed or cleansed. As I said, Mark doesn't use the word healed. It's the word cleansed. And then sternly charges him to go and say nothing to anyone. That seems rather strange, doesn't it? But that strong language too, the, the stern charging is very, very strong. And his sending him away is also strong. It's the same word used for expelling demons. So Jesus sent him away quite abruptly and strictly told him not to say anything to anyone. What was the reason for that? Why wouldn't Jesus want him to go and tell everyone? Well, it's quite clearly because if he's made any more popular, uh, he will hardly be able to move. And in fact, that's what happened. This man doesn't do as he's told. He goes and blabs to everyone. And the result is that Jesus can no longer go into town to preach. In other words, his mission is actually thwarted uh, by this man who's been cleansed. He's to go and show himself to the priest. Uh, some people say that's because Jesus had such a high regard for the law of Moses. I'm not so, I mean, Jesus was very respectful, but I think there's an obvious reason why he had to go and show himself to the priest. Uh, and that was that unless he did so, unless he actually had a certificate from the priest to say he was cleansed, he would remain in the status of a leper. So it's purely a practical thing. If you read Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, there's two whole chapters devoted to how you make or how lepers should be treated as unclean and what happens if by some miracle God does heal them. They have to be certified by a priest. So if this man's to be fully restored, in other words, to be fully healed, even though he's already had the physical healing, he needs that certificate from the priest and then he will be allowed back into town and into the synagogue and so on. What a change, uh, though, in that leper. Not only is he healed, but he changes from being humble uh, and compliant towards Jesus to actually defying him and making his life very difficult. Ironically, now, uh, whereas it was the leper before who couldn't go into town, now it's Jesus. So it's almost as if Jesus and the leper have changed position. Jesus is now uh, unable to mix and do the things 
that he wants to do. Uh, Mark doesn't even tell us uh, whether the leper went and saw the priest or not. Um, maybe he didn't even bother. Maybe he was uh, so excited about his healing that he omitted that. Uh, and that's, there's something quite lovely about that, this man's joy at being healed, uh, but he certainly doesn't help Jesus' cause. And again, Jesus' ministry is actually affected uh, by someone's misunderstanding of what he's truly about. So what do we take away from this reading ourselves? I think the first thing has got to be the priority of prayer. I mean, we're not the son of God the way Jesus was, but we too must make prayer a priority. And I think it is significant that Jesus begins the day in prayer. Because if you don't begin the day in prayer, it's highly likely that you won't actually spend quality time with God. I know for myself, I have to really resist the urge to turn on the cell phone uh, or the computer. It's so easy to get just check the emails or just check the news. And once you do that, so often the opportunity for real peace and focus on God is lost. It's, uh, it's true, I think, that who you spend most time with uh, and what you spend most time about is what will shape your life and your ministry if you're in ministry. If you spend most of your time on social media, uh, you'll be mostly influenced by social media, and that's one of the great uh, curses, I think, and we've seen it with COVID. Uh, people's medical knowledge even now comes from social media rather than from serious um, medical writings and this sort of thing. And it's the same with us as Christians. Uh, if we spend our time on social media rather than God's word uh, and in prayer at the beginning of the day, then we'll soon lose our focus. We'll soon lose the center uh, of our lives. And we will, like Jesus, if he had listened to the disciples, simply be dictated to by those around us and by our own perhaps desire to be popular and do what other people want us to do. I had hoped to, to show you a painting uh, today. Uh, you could Google it yourself. Um, it's uh, by the English painter, Sir Stanley Spencer. You're probably familiar with his wilderness series, even if you don't know that you are, because uh, they're in the, a lot of them are in the art gallery in Perth in Australia but uh, they're pretty well known. But there's a, a, one that I particularly like, which shows Jesus uh, rising early, it's called, and he's actually in a shell hole. Now, Stanley Spencer fought in both the First and Second World Wars, and he was obviously familiar with shell holes. And he shows Jesus in this wilderness place, but he's actually in a shell hole. And he rises up and his hands are up like that, like the stamen of a flower, Oh, well done. Whoever's done that. Thank you. And you can see uh, that he is, uh, it's, it's like a flower and a shell hole, something beautiful amid something ugly. Uh, but I think there's a bit of a play here. And he's saying that Jesus flowers uh, when he rises early and spends time with God. And that's the same for us. We, we blossom uh, when we spend time with God at the beginning of the day. It's interesting that if you get uh, Premier Christianity, uh, if you can hook into that site, you'll see there's a wonderful clip of Ukrainian Christians uh, in a bomb shelter or an underground station, 
uh, and they are praying or reciting Psalm 31 together. It's, it's very powerful. And Psalm 31, uh, let me read you just a couple of verses. Uh, verse 9, be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eye is wasted from grief, my soul and my body also. For my life is spent with sorrow and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones waste away. Because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbours and an object of dread to my acquaintances. Those who see me in the street flee from me. And as I was reading that, I was thinking those must be words that would have been on the lips of the leper someone who's become a reproach to everybody, even to his neighbours, an object of dread, and those who see me in the street flee from me. But how pertinent, too, to Christians in the Ukraine who are fleeing Putin's soldiers. They, too, uh, are crying out to the Lord. Uh, that's where the centre of our lives needs to be, in God's word and in prayer, as we begin our day with him. Uh, the second thing, and it's the flip side of going out and praying, it's so easy, isn't it, to be tempted uh, to do things that even might seem worthwhile, like healing people. But if they're not God's actual first priority for you, uh, then you're not using your life as well as you might. And, and this is a real danger for us all. We, we see so many good things that we can be doing, uh, or maybe they're not such good things. Maybe we, we can just indulge ourselves. But we need to constantly check in with God and listen to him. What is it that he wants us to be doing this day? Uh, what is the most important thing in our life? And where are our priorities? And who is influencing us? Because if we don't get this sorted, then we can easily waste our lives and our lives can simply drift. The third thing is the priority of God's word. Uh, it's hard I think for us sometimes to perceive that uh, preaching might be more important than uh, miracles of healing. I know for sure that if someone uh, advertises an evangelist preaching people to repent and someone else advertises a faith healer who's got a great reputation for healing people, I know which meeting is going to be packed out. I know which meeting it's easier to get people along to. But Jesus is quite clear that signs and wonders, whilst are certainly point to his kingdom, they don't uh, lead to conversion and real faith the way a heart convicted of sin does uh, when convicted by the Holy Spirit. And it's that that brings lasting and true healing. It's only that that's going to bring eternal life. And that's the greater healing, the greater miracle than even a leper being healed. Jesus' greatest work, of course, his greatest miracle was work on the cross. And we need to constantly remember that, that Jesus redeeming us from our sin, that is the thing we all most need. And so whenever uh, ministries of signs and wonders, which certainly are important, uh, take over from that, then we're not really doing what God most wants us to do. And the last thing I think to take from this is the power of Jesus and the gospel. When Jesus touched that leper, uh, he broke all boundaries. 
And I often think how, and I was, I certainly, I think I've changed on this. I used to be very scared of being involved in anything that might be seen as not of God. Remember the days when everyone uh, broke all their LPs, um, you know, all their rock music. Some of you may not remember those days, but I'm sure uh, others do. There were times, I mean, I was brought up, you you wouldn't even go to a, a non-Anglican church for fear of being tainted, uh, let alone going to a mosque uh, to have any dialogue with Muslims. And when you think about it, that's based on fear, ultimately, that Satan is stronger than God. Now, I'm not talking about things like interfaith worship, where you do compromise yourself, but to have contact with things that are not of God, uh, well, we've really got to do that to reach people. Uh, and I sometimes think that it actually shows a great lack of confidence in God when we're more worried about ourselves being made unclean, if you like, by other things than our confidence that we will actually make them clean. That's what Jesus does with the leper. He doesn't get leprosy. The leper gets cleansed. And we should expect that uh, in our relationships, our ministry, we should have no fear to go into situations which may be hostile to the gospel because we should be confident that the gospel is more powerful. Uh, we are guaranteed victory over Satan. We're specifically told that, that no weapon against God will stand. And so I think that that's uh, the fourth thing that we can take from this passage. So I think that's enough from me. Um, I pray that your journey through Mark, which of course ends at the cross, is, is a wonderful one as you travel through towards Easter. And uh, the main thing I do believe is to keep thinking, what is uh, this gospel telling us? Not about ourselves, but about Jesus. Uh, and when we know him, and are in that sort of relationship that Jesus had with the Father, uh, then everything else falls into place. So thank you, and God bless you. Thank you, Michael. It's always um, good to have very clear points to remember and reflect on in, in the week. And the, the thing that interests me is the points that we have heard time and time again, prayer, recognising who God is and his power. It's just... Um, it's just lovely. Great to hear again. Thank you.